I'm very happy to be with you uh, this evening, and uh, hope this is this water okay to sit here. It isn't. I was at some congregation somewhere, and I got fussed at because I put a water there. They said that might stain the pulpit or something. So let me see. Let me put my handkerchief under that. Maybe that'll help or something. So I just always like to ask, and I forgot to do that. Well, I'm glad to be here uh, with you this evening. I understand I was here in 86, and I don't remember anything about that. And I was here in 94, and I remember being here, but I don't remember that Tony said I said something about the prophet Ezekiel. I don't know anything about Ezekiel, so I don't know why I had that assignment. But he said I did a good job, so I must have known something about it at one time. But I really am glad to be with you this evening. I've um, known Tony and loved him and his family for many, many years. Uh, He has been a great help to me. Uh, in so many ways. Um, the lectureship book, if some of you are familiar with it, from Fried Hardeman, is in large part by way of its format due to Tony. I remember him pulling me to the side. I remember the exact spot it was in Lord Auditorium when he said that I could arrange the book a little bit better than it was arranged. And Tony, I took your advice, and it is a much better arrangement, but it takes a whole lot more time. <laughs> But uh, I really do appreciate that, uh, that suggestion, and he's been a lot of help to me, technologically speaking, and, and just uh, appreciate him so much. And I know that you all are grateful for his work here for so many years, and <clears throat> the congregation is blessed to have him and his family. Good to see Shane again. I got to see where Shane landed. Where are you? There he is over here. I had uh, afflicted Shane for a few years at Freed Hardeman. At least that's what my former students say that I did. You know, to them. All right, well, uh, let's talk a little bit about this assignment. First of all, I'd like to know do you have your Bibles? Hold up your Bibles. Hold them up high. Okay, I'll take iPads, um, laptops, all right, and then the good book, right? Okay, it's not uncommon anymore to have all kinds of technological devices held up uh, when you ask to see Bibles, but I hope that you'll have your Bibles. And I'm all about computers and uh, iPads and so forth, and I I can't really imagine my world without that, but I really like to hear the rustling of those pages. Do you? And I like the feel, you know, of this uh, for some reason. But at any rate, all right, this assignment that's been given to me this evening, the great physician heals the diseases of the heart, and I started uh, researching this, and uh, wow, what a subject. I mean, it's big. Uh, the word heart occurs hundreds of times, and uh, one is almost at a loss as to where uh, to begin. Uh, of course, we understand the heart to refer to our uh, physical organ, uh, without which we could not uh, sustain life. The Bible uses it in other respects. It's used to refer to the cognitive aspect of man, that if thou shalt believe with thine heart, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. It's used to refer to man's effective sphere, I think, in Matthew 22, where the Bible says, Love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And um, I think there it's probably talking about the uh, emotional aspect of man concerning loving God with his heart. Definitely so in Ephesians 4 and 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. And then a third way that it's used, that you're familiar with, I'm sure, has to do with our actions, our behavior, our will. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that Peter's preaching the gospel, of course, on the day of Pentecost. 
And he says, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And so uh, there it relates, I think, to their uh, behavior. And then in Romans 6 and 17, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. And so again, referring to behavior. Now my assignment is, um, I think, very broad. And um, I really worked hard to try to um, uh, narrow it a bit, to give it some kind of focus. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, what I've done will be satisfactory for you this evening. Now with that, turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, our Lord's first parable is the parable of the sower. But in this parable, Jesus addresses the heart. And I don't suppose, uh, Tony, that I had thought about it in as um, much detail as I should have. I'd always looked at it as more along the lines of listening and not as much along the lines of the heart. But the more I studied for tonight, the more I'm convinced that you just simply cannot separate both listening and the heart. For example, have you ever heard someone say to you, unfortunately I've heard it said to me, you don't listen. Now, why is that? I'll tell you why it is. Because it has to do with our heart. It's not that I lack inability, you know, to hear, but it's that my heart's somewhere else. You know, my heart's not in what you're saying. You know, my heart doesn't want to participate in what you're talking about or whatever. And thus, my wife, among others, have said, you don't listen. Listening is related to the heart. It involves the heart. And so I want us to look at this parable. Hopefully this will help us narrow our subject just a little bit. And then I'd like for us to see that at least there are three diseases of the heart that are found in this particular parable. Now, <clears throat> you, you know that our Lord said on one occasion, uh, take heed what you hear. You also recall that He said, take heed how you hear. You remember that, I'm sure. Now, they sound very similar, don't they? Take heed what you hear and take heed how you hear. But they're very, very different. For example, the take heed what you hear places emphasis on the message. And to take heed how you hear places emphasis upon the one doing the listening. The latter has to do with the heart. Now, we place a lot of emphasis on the take heed what you hear. And thus, we will quote passages like uh, what Paul said to the Ephesian elders, Take heed, therefore, uh, to the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which He's purchased with His own blood. He goes on to say that I know this, that after my departing, grievous wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And so he says, you know, you really need to be careful about the message, you know, that comes along. And then the Bible says uh, a similar thing in the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 4, uh, where the Scripture says, The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so again, the emphasis is on the message. Or 1 John 4 and 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits. Emphasis on the message. But we don't spend as much time talking about the emphasis on the one doing the listening and the, and the heart problem that's involved. How many times has it been said at your dinner table, perhaps after a Sunday morning worship, well, the preacher really wasn't up to snuff today. Have you ever heard that said? Did you ever say that? Don't answer that. All right. 
Well, Brother Tony didn't really have his game together today. Or my teacher, you know, really didn't do a very good job today. David didn't do a very good job in his lesson. And things like that from time to time. Now, while that is the case, I'm sure from time, it's certainly true of me. I'm not saying it is Brother Tony, but it is true of me. And um, I'm ashamed of that. Sometimes, however, we have not discharged our responsibility to listen, you know, to what has been said. On more than one occasion, I've had people say, well, it was one of the most boring messages, you know, that I ever heard. To which I said, I thought it was one of the most wonderful messages, you know, that I ever heard. My heart was in it. Their heart was not in it. And so listening is tied, you know, to the heart. Now, the Lord thought so much of this idea that he devoted an entire parable to, to its concept. Now, with that, look at Matthew 13 with me. I'm not going to read the whole parable. It's found in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. But I do want to read about the first nine verses. And then I'll spend some time uh, in exposition. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, there's three basic ideas going on here. Number one is the idea of the sower. The sower represents the preacher, the, the, the teacher, the messenger. Uh, the other idea is the soil, and the soil represents the heart. It's, it represents the hearts of men. And an interesting thing here uh, that I find interesting is this. All hearts are represented in this parable. Everybody here tonight is in this parable. See, there's only four. And so as we look at it, you can just ask yourself, you know, does this soil represent my heart? And uh, it's only four choices. Kind of like a multiple choice test. I mean, just take your pick. You know, which one represents your heart? As I look at it, I need to ask myself the question, which one represents my heart? So you have the sower, you have the soil, and then you have the seed. Now, Matthew does not say it, but Luke 8, 11 says that the seed is the Word of God. It's plainly stated in uh, Luke's account. Now, let's look at this a little bit. And let's see what diseases of the heart we can learn about in this particular parable. First of all, the Bible says that a sower sowed, he went out to sow, verse 3, and then he sowed, and some seed fell on the wayside. Now, all of us have had the experience, have we not, sowing seed. <clears throat> Recently, I've, well, I've sown a lot of seed. I built a house over, we're right off the exit 280, and um, I built a house there in 2010, and um, believe me, I've sowed a lot of seed. All right? It's about seven and a half acres, and um, I've sown a lot of seed. All right. When you sow seed, you want to put it in a certain place. Is that right or wrong? You want it to go here. But in spite of your best efforts, what happens? It ends up somewhere where you don't want it. Is that right? And so that's kind of what's going on with the wayside soil. 
Now, another thing that, to help us understand this is, uh, is this. I should have mentioned this earlier. <clears throat> the sower went forth to sow. Now, um, the, the people who farmed in our Lord's day <clears throat> didn't farm the way people do today. Now, I'm from Mississippi. And you know I'm from Mississippi because you know I know how to say the word. It's three syllables. Some people I've actually heard from Mississippi say Mississippi. And bless their hearts, they've been influenced by some, you know, uh, alien somewhere, I suppose. But it's Mississippi. I was born in Mississippi. I was raised in Mississippi. And um, the land there is a little different than here. I mean, lots of, you know, great farmland. So it's not uncommon. I mean, you got great land here, but... Um, I think I saw maybe two nurseries on the way here. <laughs> All right. You do a lot of nurseries, I can gather that, and that's a wonderful thing. Not a lot of that in Mississippi. But at any rate, it's not uncommon to look to the left, look to the right, and you see this plot of ground, and, um, and you, it may be, uh, typically it's cotton and soybeans, maybe some corn, but at any rate, you'll see a house, maybe a barn, equipment shed, a silo, and then surrounding this is literally hundreds of acres of land, and that's where the farmer um, you know, sows his crop. That's not the way it was in the Lord's time. In the Lord's time, people lived in small towns and villages and they farmed out on the hillsides. And they literally went out to do that. They went forth to sow. Now what happens when you um, go to, from, say, A to uh, B on a regular basis? What ends up being under your feet? A path. And you stay on that path, don't you? Our old cow just walked the same path every day. And I got studying that path one day, and I thought, why did she do that? I mean, she could have gone straight, but for some reason she had the, you know, a certain path. And guess how much grass grew in the path? Zero. All right. So that's kind of what you've got in the Lord's day. You've got people in small towns and villages. They go forth to sow. So they walk on their path every day. They have oxen, and they have donkeys, and they have carts, and they have sleds. And all of this is pulled across the ground. And as a result, what you've got is wayside soil. It's hard soil. It's packed. Now, when the sower starts sowing, some of the seed falls on this soil. And what does it do? It just lies on the surface. You see, it cannot penetrate it. It's so hard. And then the Lord tells us that the birds of the heavens see it, and they fly down, and, and they take it. Now, what our Lord wants us to know here is this represents a certain kind of heart problem. There's a heart problem going on here. The wayside soil represents a heart. What kind of heart is it? It's the heart which is so hard that the seed, the Word of God, cannot penetrate it. That's the kind of heart that we're talking about. When the seed lands on this kind of heart, it makes no impression whatsoever. How many times have we preached the gospel and begged people to obey the gospel? And we can tell them about the love of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. And we can go into great detail about the manifestations of God's love and His grace and mercy. And it makes no impression on them. Now why is that? It's because of a heart problem. The heart is so hard, the seed cannot penetrate it. The Lord spoke of these people when He quoted Isaiah. He does this around 15 or so. He says, This people's heart is waxed gross, or it's grown dull, the New King James says. And then listen to what He says. Their ears are hard of hearing. <clears throat> Their eyes they have closed. 
Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. You see, the great physician can heal them, but he can't heal them unless the seed penetrates their heart. But the seed can't penetrate this heart. This represents people who um, do not respond to the Word, not because they don't have intelligence. They have intelligence, but it's because their heart is so hard. You see, you see uh, if you think about the wayside soil, the wayside soil is not um, unproductive because it's not got, nece- got, it's not got the necessary elements of production. It's, Tony, it's got what it's supposed to have. It's got well, whatever it's supposed to have in the soil. I'm not a farmer, but uh, it, whatever it's supposed to have, nitrogen and um, whatever is supposed to be in there, it's got it. But it's so hard, the seed can't penetrate it. And so there are people whose hearts are so hard that the seed, the Word of God, cannot penetrate them. Recently, there was something that some people and I were talking about that we heard on the news. And this person said to me, well, how could somebody do something like that? It was a horrible you know, crime that had been committed. They said, I, I don't understand how anybody could do that. And I said, I understand it. And they looked at me rather shocked. They said, what do you mean? I said, they got hard hearts. You ever heard of a sociopath? What, what do you think is wrong with that person? They have hard hearts. There are people like that in our world. They can say about whatever they want to say. They can believe about whatever they want to believe. They can do about whatever they wish to do. And it bothers them not one bit. Paul talked about it in 1 Timothy 4. The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Listen to it now. Are you listening? Speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience what? Seared with a hot iron. Seared with a hot iron. The word sear there is from a Greek word, cauterizo, from which we get the English word cauterize. That's still something that takes place in medical circles today. And I'm happy to say on a more sophisticated level than in years gone by. In years gone by, if you had a, had a wound or perhaps bleeding or infection, <clears throat> they'd take an iron and heat it uh, until it was red hot and put it in that place. Uh, you know, to kill the infection or to stop the bleeding. And what was left? A scar. And you know how a scar is. A scar is, is not as sensitive as other you know, parts of your body. And so Paul is saying, here are people who have their hearts scarred. See, they, they cannot be touched. Paul talks about them in Ephesians 4.19. They are past feeling. They're past feeling. So you, you go to them, you beg them, you plead with them, you encourage them to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it does not do any good. Why? Because of their heart. I've led a number of campaigns, as I'm sure many of you have here and, and been involved in a number. And I've knocked a lot of doors. I've knocked some doors that when people come to the door, um, you're exchanging some conversation. You're involved in dialogue. Things are going rather well for a while as you talk about the weather and the things that we do. And then as soon as you say, I'm David Life and I'm with such and such Church of Christ, it's almost as though something comes up out of the threshold. 
There, there's this barrier, you know, immediately that comes up between you and the person, and they don't want to hear a thing that you've got to say. Why? Because they got this disease of the heart. It's a hard heart. On these folks, the Word of God makes no impression. The second heart that the Lord talks about here is couched in the context of stony ground. Now, when I first read that, I thought stony ground, what kind of ground would stony ground be? I thought to myself, well, stony ground would be ground that had little stones in it. <clears throat> I went to Freed Hardeman three years and then transferred to Harding. Uh, Freed Hardeman was not yet a um, four-year uh, college. And I was preaching for a little congregation north of Harding uh, at a little town called Cave City. And <clears throat> so I'd, I'd preach, and then I had uh, uh, lunch with someone one day, and uh, afterwards we were walking around their place, and I looked at their garden, and I saw all these rocks in the, in the, in the garden. And, of course, being as naive as I was, you know, I asked, well, why have you got all these rocks in your garden? <laughs> and um, he said, well... There's no place here that hadn't got any rocks. <laughs> and he was right. He said, I'm from Mississippi. I mean, we wouldn't think about trying to plant a crop, you know, somewhere, you know, where you had all these rocks. We didn't have that problem. And so I thought, well, that's what stony ground is about. It's ground that's got a lot of little stones in it. Well, not so. He had a really pretty garden. Had a lot of little rocks in it. But that's not what the Lord's talking about here. The Lord, rather, is talking here about... <clears throat> Another kind of soil. It's a soil that's like this. Are you listening to me now? It's a thin layer of soil on top of a bedrock. Now, think about your parking lot out here. Let's say that in the springtime, uh, do y'all ever have workings here? I call them workings. Somebody asked me one day how you spell that, and I said, son, if you don't know how to spell that, don't worry. You'll be okay. All right. What do you typically do? Well, you come together. Maybe you're going to clean up the surroundings. Maybe you're going to plant a flower bed or whatever. And so someone says they'll bring the best topsoil that they can find, and others bring rakes and hoes and shovels and so forth. And so let's say you spread the soil out, and you spread it about an inch deep. All right? And you plant these flowers in it, and, and you put this little trick around, you know, the side, you know, around it and so forth. And then you get up on Sunday morning, and you say, we want to thank all those who came out yesterday to plant the flower bed, and you do all of that and so forth, and then you water it and the sun comes out, and then all of a sudden you see what to start to emerge. You see the seed germinating, and then you see, you know, the flower coming forth. And then you go out there and you just swell up with pride, and you say, boy, I brought that soil here. Someone else said, yeah, but I, you know, I spread it out. Someone else, well, I planted the flower seed and so forth and so on, and mom was really going to like these, and, you know, we do all of that stuff. And then after a few days... This, this flower that had the potential to be a beautiful flower, is, it's coming up, and then all of a sudden it's doing what? It's starting to bow its head. See, it came up. It looked great. It's, it's coming on up, but as it develops, it starts to bow its head. Now, now, what is happening here? It's in good soil. Is that not right? You see, you start questioning one another, and you say, <clears throat> did you plant it to proper depth? I thought you was going to bring good soil. The man says, I'm telling you, I brought good soil. I bought, I bought and brought the best topsoil you could get in this part of the country. I'm telling you, it's good soil. Not, not a problem there. But there's a problem. Well, maybe it's a seed. No. A seed's okay. Well, maybe it's the sower. No. We sowed it properly. <clears throat> it's got to be with the soil. 
I'm telling you, it's good soil. It's good soil, but it's not deep enough. It's not deep enough. It's got pavement under it. It's got bedrock under it. And so, the seed germinates, the roots are going down, the plant's emerging, and the roots are doing fine until it bottoms out, until they bottom out. And then the sun, which is typically a life-giving source, now becomes the death of the plant. The Lord wants us to know that this represents a kind of heart. It represents a certain kind of heart. Well, what kind of heart is it, Lord? Well, it's a heart that's superficial. It's a superficial heart. You know, this represents a heart. Now watch it. You see, the wayside heart, soil that represents the hard heart, that represents a heart that never does come to the Lord. But the stony ground represents a heart that hears the Word, believes the Word, obeys the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This represents a child of God. But a child of God who has a heart problem. And the heart problem is their faith is shallow. They do not develop as Christians. Paul, I think, talked to some folks like this in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2 when he said, And I, brethren, when I wrote unto you, could not write unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. I have had to write unto you as unto babies in Christ. The Hebrews writer talked about it when he wanted to discuss the subject of Melchizedek. And as we preachers do sometimes, he diverted just for a verse or two in Hebrews 5 and 12. And he said, when the time has come that you ought to be teachers, you have need that one should teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as have need of milk and not of solid food. So here are some people who had been in the church long enough that they should have been able to be on solid food but the writer says, still got to keep you on milk. I can't, I can't, you know, give you solid food. I got to keep you on milk. Who do you give milk to? You start babies out with what? Milk. You don't have a newborn baby and say, let's get that ball some cornbread. You do that for David, but you don't do that for a newborn baby. You see, you give that baby what the baby's diet, you know, can tolerate. What can it tolerate? What can he or she tolerate? He or she can tolerate milk. But would we not be concerned if we had a six-year-old child and then the only thing that their diet could tolerate was milk? Wouldn't we? I'd be worried about that. If, I had a, if, I, if one of my girls, you know, six years old, and then the only thing that they could keep down was milk, I'd think that, that child needs to be on some solid food. Well, what about in the church? Here's somebody who'd been in the church for 30 years and they hadn't figured out Acts yet. I mean... Shouldn't that give us some degree of concern? They've never studied Romans. They've never studied Hebrews. And so it's a great lesson, I think, for us to develop. You know, the Bible says to lay aside malice and guile and hypocrisy and envies and all evil speakings and as newborn babes do what? Desire the milk of the Word that we may do what? Grow thereby. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. And so here are people who started out on milk, but they didn't develop. Superficial faith. They blame God for their troubles. You know anybody like that? You know anybody that's got that kind of heart? I went to see a man in the hospital one time who had this kind of heart. And the first thing out of his mouth was, look what God's done to me. Blamed everybody in the world. Blamed the doctors. Blamed the nurses. You know, it was everybody else's fault. 
He was a victim. Truly measured up to what a lot of our nation has become. A nation of victims. A nation of people of entitlement. Look what's happened to me. In uh, uh, different places, I have uh, I've said, well, I'm going to go visit so-and-so and see what I can do to encourage them. And I've had elders pull me to the side and say, Brother David, let's, I want to, we want to talk to you before you go there. And I can tell you nine times out of ten what they want to say to me, Tony. What they want to say to me is, now, David, we know how you get to the point. And we know you don't spend, you know, as much time as we think you ought to spend on easing up on somebody. And uh, you have to treat these people, you know, with kid gloves. I've heard that time and time again. What kind of heart are they talking about? They're talking about a shallow heart, superficial heart. They're, They're talking about the heart represented by this stony soil. You go to see these people, you, you pull up in the driveway, if it's a gravel driveway, you just don't drive up in there, you kind of ease in there. And then you stop, you don't just open your car up, you turn your engine off and you kind of look around. Because see, you're, everybody's kind of nervous here. And you open up your glove box and you put on your kid gloves. <laughs> and you get up on the front porch and you have to watch where you walk, you know, because there's what? There's eggshells everywhere. <laughs> And you have to be real cautious about what you say because the least thing that you might say might cause them to quit the church forever. Shallow heart. Superficial faith. Feelings on their sleeve. Extremely sensitive. These people falter and fail. They blame God. They blame the brethren. I want to see a young woman uh, who had been missing uh, service. And she was insulted that I had come to see her to encourage her to come back to the family of God. She took it as an insult. Never been back. What kind of heart would you say that would be? Shallow. You see, not, not a heart that is rooted in the Word of God. Now, a third heart that's represented in this parable is that represented by the thorny ground. Now, what's thorny ground? Well, let me try to describe it in the context of the other two. The wayside soil was deep soil, but it was really hard, right? The stony ground was, was good soil, but it was so thin that it was not sufficient to develop a healthy plant. It had that bedrock under it. Thorny, thorny soil would be deep soil, and it would be the kind of soil that would have all the necessary elements of production, and it could produce healthy plants, but it had the capability of also producing weeds. Where I used to live in Alabama many, many years ago, over 20 years ago now, I had a good friend, and he, he had a garden, I had a garden. And we were talking about our gardens one day, and he said, well, my garden up and ran off. <laughs> I thought that was just the funniest thing. I could just see that, couldn't you? You know, just uh, I guess you had to be there. Well, at any rate, I knew what he meant. He liked to fish. And so what he would do is he'd go out there and he'd see that. You know how that fine grass, you know, typically crabgrass, it'll just raise its head up, just little, little fine grass. And he looked at that and said, I ain't worried about you. I'm going to go fish. I'll take care of you tomorrow. And he looks, looks out there and it raises his head up just a little bit longer. And, and, and then, I'm not worried about you. I'll take care of you another day. 
And then it gets up so high, it's like that Trefland commercial. You know, it's just out there holding on to the tomato plant or whatever it is, just, you know, choking it to death. That's what he meant. That's thorny soil. You see, thorny soil can produce a healthy plant, but thorny soil can also produce weeds. Now, the Lord wants us to know that this represents a heart. What kind of heart? Well, I'm calling it the crowded heart. It's the crowded heart. This is the heart disease, a crowded heart. You see, the wayside is a hard heart. The stony is a shallow heart. The thorny is a crowded heart. Now, we don't have the time to go into all of it, but if you look at all of the accounts, you'll find these things represented. Matthew 13, uh, 22, the cares of the world. In 22, also, the deceitfulness of riches. In uh, Luke 8 and 14, the pleasures of life. And in Mark 4, 19, the lust of other things. But the long and short of it is this. The thorns represent any and everything that comes between us and our service to the Lord. That's what the thorns represent. Brethren, I don't know too, too many brethren. I mean, I think I could count on one hand the brethren who have fallen by the wayside because of gross immorality or because of pornography or because of drunkenness or because of these you know, terrible you know, sins of the flesh. I just personally don't know a lot of brethren who are caught up in things like that. And, and I, don't, I don't want to know about it, to be very frank about it. I'm happy to say that I don't know a whole lot of brethren like that. But let me tell you what I know a lot about. I know a lot of brethren, and I mean my brothers and my sisters, who get so caught up in life that they can't give the Lord the attention that He needs. You know what I'm talking about. The cares of life. You see, when Matthew says the cares of the world, first time I read that, I thought, well, the word world there means, you know, the lust of the world and, and those bad things. You know, drunkenness and immorality and things like that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. You know what cares of the world represent? Cares of the world represent just innocent things. Cares of the world are our jobs. Cares of the world are our hobbies. Cares of the world are not things that are wrong in and of themselves. You see, immorality is wrong. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Stealing is wrong. You see, it's just wrong. But then there are some other things that are not wrong in and of themselves, but they can become wrong if we allow them to come between us and the Lord. Does that make sense? Amen? Can the church say amen? Well, I'll take it. It's kind of feeble, but I'll take it. Now, <clears throat> Tony didn't tell you, but I have, um, and I bet I would say there's some men here who have similar interests. I, I like old cars. I like hot rods. I, li I like all that stuff. I've got a 40 Ford uh, street rod. I've got a 53 um, Chevrolet pickup that's rotted. I've got a 50 Ford Club Coupe. I'm building a 50 Mercury, and I like that stuff, okay? I like to go to car shows. I go to the cruise at Cookville the first Saturday night of each month if I can. I try to go to the one at Sparta. I try to go to the one at Livingston. I like that stuff. I used to go to a car show, and um, they called me up one Monday after the show and said, David, we had a trophy for you, but you weren't here yesterday, that is Sunday. 
And I said, well, uh, I appreciate that, but uh, I was, you know, at worship. And so the next year they said, you know, David, uh, we, get, we got a trophy for you tomorrow, and I hope you'll be here. You know, I had a 49 Mercury Custom. And I said, I said, listen, I really appreciate that. I said, y'all, y'all do some good works. I want, I'm happy to give you my $25. I'm, you know, happy for my car to be displayed, and, and I want to help the cause and all of that. But I said, just don't even worry about judging my car. I said, I won't be here tomorrow. Now, is that right or wrong? See, that's the right thing, isn't it? And I said, no disrespect. Well, we have a church service here. I said, well, I can appreciate your interest in spiritual things, but uh, I worship, you know, where I worship and do things the way, you know, that I do things, and I'm going to be, you know, with my people. Now, what I'm trying to say is we have got to get our minds right about what comes first in our life. Does the Bible say seek the kingdom of God first? Does it say that? Now, what does first mean? That's not a difficult concept, is it? Do you ever say here, well, we're we're really proud of our graduates. So-and-so was first in their class. Do you hear whispering? People say, what's that mean? Or if you have a fellowship, do you ever say, well, we want our visitors to go first. Not once have I ever heard a visitor say, what's that mean? If you say to little children, y'all do this and this and this, and you can be the first one to get a cookie. Well, what are you talking about? See, we, we don't have a problem understanding what the word first means. It's not a cognitive issue. It's a pragmatic problem. It's putting it in practice. You see, the thorny soil represents a person who has problems putting the Lord first. Let, let me just try to illustrate it. When I was coming here, I crossed, uh, what was that? Was that Cedar or Center? What was that big lake I crossed? Center Hill Lake, okay. Where they're working on the bridge? Well, it's narrow in there, ain't it? Anyway, um, I like a lake. Do you like a lake? I was raised three miles north of Enid uh, Reservoir in Mississippi. Um, I like a lake. You like a lake? All God's children like a lake, don't they? See, we, we like lakes. But let's, and, we, and rivers. We like rivers, I guess. I, maybe you like them more than I do. I, I personally don't like rivers too much. I sure don't like preaching at churches near rivers. You know why? When you ask about somebody and you say, I missed you last Sunday, I was at the river. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Over at Parsons, where I used to preach when I was working at Freed Hardman for over 20 years. Well, I missed you last Sunday. Where were you? At the river. I came to hate the river. You see, the river was pulling my people. Well, what was you doing at the river? You say, I want you here. I want you worshiping. I want you singing and praying, you know, studying God's Word. I don't want you missing, you know, the assembly. You see, we've got to learn what it means to put the Lord first. Let me say this. Can you say with me that you know where you will be next year on the Lord's Day? Barring being in a sickbed or barring having already... Um, seeing my demise, I'm going to be worshiping with God's people. That's where I'm going to be on the Lord's Day. Is that, is that right or wrong? You see, that's right. That's, way, that's the attitude we're supposed to have. We teach our children. You go off to school, you make sure you don't end up going to church at Box Springs. You go to the Lord's church. You see, you worship there. 
And you make it you make it part of your plan. That's where you're going to be. Come the Lord's day, you're going to be with the people of God. The Lord <clears throat> gives us an account that helps us understand this. You remember Mary and Martha, don't you? Don't we love these women? You remember that time that uh, Jesus was at the house of Mary and Martha? And you remember Mary and the Lord were in the living room. And where was Martha? She is in the kitchen. And all I've had more women say, well, you got to have these Marthas. And I'm saying, listen, I'm with you. I'm, I'm telling you. But, you know, that's, that's the case. But listen to me. Somebody got a reproof, and it was not Mary. Martha got it. Why? Because there's anything wrong with preparing a good meal? Nothing. Nothing wrong. Anything wrong with providing food for the Lord Jesus? No. Not one thing. That's a good thing. But what is wrong is when you place more importance on that than you do, you know, what the Lord Jesus came here for to begin with. There's the difference. I was preaching at a little church. I mentioned it to you a while ago up in uh, north of Ar- in, um, Arkansas. And I went up there and um, to try out. You know, we, we know that expression when I went to Harding. And um, so uh, I preached, and I'm standing at the back door of this little church, about 30 people, and shaking hands. And you know how people do. Uh, Enjoyed your lesson, preacher. Come go home with me. And then I just keep walking. And thank you, preacher, for the lesson. Uh, I told him, I said, it's David. It's not preacher. I got to where, you know, if it was a painter, I said, hello, painter. Hi, plumber. You know. Uh, oh, you have a name? I have a name, too. It's David. But it, you know, that's another story. It just sort of gets on my nerve a little bit. But at any rate... Um, so, so they all said, thank you, David. Enjoyed the lesson. Won't you go home with me and so forth? And they just keep walking. Next thing you know, Ms. Light and I are standing at the door. She's expecting our first baby. We're 60 miles away from Harding. And I got $2. Do you know how long it is sitting at a Dairy Queen from 12 o'clock noon till 5.45 on a Sunday afternoon with no money? And an expectant wife. Do you know how long that time goes by? It's a long time. A long time. So I preached. They said, can you come back next Sunday? I said, sure, I can, I can come back. So I came back. And, you know, had the same thing. Thank you, David. Enjoyed the lesson and all that. And they kept walking. The last man came out. I held on to his hand. I looked back in the auditorium. I didn't see anybody else. And he said, thank you, David. Won't you go home with me? I said, thank you. I believe I will. <laughs> Met with the brethren that night. And said, they said they wanted me to preach while I was at Harding. So I agreed to do that. And I said, but it's got to be one condition. They said, well, what is it? And then I told them what I just told you. I said, you're going to have to get you a little list and put it on the bulletin board out there. And you can put you a little title on the top of it calling those to feed the preacher. Put you some dates down there on the left-hand side, and you write your little name in the blank there as to where I'm supposed to go. Otherwise, I'm not coming. I said, and if you have a problem dealing with me, you deal with her. And they, they cooperated wonderfully. So I go up there next Sunday or so, and, and I meet this good brother. I still remember his name so well. And I said, well, where's your good wife? Why, she's home fixing something for you to eat. Anything wrong with that? It's not wrong to prepare a good meal, is it? No. 
I told him, I said, as much as I hate vein of sausages, I'd rather you can a vein of sausages and your wife be here and her not miss the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, she fell into that Martha syndrome. And so this kind of heart is the heart that puts something before the Lord Jesus. No matter whatever it is, you fill in the blank. It could be hunting. It could, I knew a guy one time, he turkey hunted, he missed three Sundays in a row every year. Happened every year. It could be hunting, fishing. could be old cars for me. might be computers for Tony. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, we must not let it take the place of our Lord. And then finally, some seed fell on the good ground. What is the good ground? Well, it's not hard like the wayside. It's not shallow like the stony. It's not <coughs> crowded like the thorny. It's good ground. And the Lord says when that seed falls in the good ground, it brings forth fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. And notice what the Lord says about the good crown. They are the ones who hear the word. They are the ones who understand the word. That's where the great physician comes in. You see, the great physician can do the healing, but you've got to have a heart that receives the word. You've got to have a heart that's willing to listen to the word. Now, I said at the beginning of our lesson that I was going to talk about four types of soil. And I said that all of us are represented by these four types of soil. Now, did you do what I asked you to do? Did you ask yourself the question, does this soil represent my heart? Let me make it easy for you. There's really only two kinds of soil to have to think about here, isn't it, Tony? You've got good soil, and then what? bad. And so now, you, we don't have to make a choice one of four. Now the choice is one of two. Do I have a good heart or does my heart need some improvement? If we can help you this evening to obey the gospel, to confess your faith, repent of your sins, be baptized, or if you have you know, allowed things to crowd in your life such that the Lord has not been first in your life. Or if you have been that kind of person that, you know, someone says something to you about, you know, coming, you know, to service and, and you get your feelings hurt and, and you're overly sensitive and things like that, then tonight's the time to fix all of that. I hope that tonight you won't just sit there or stand as we sing and, and, and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. But seriously, like 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. This is God's family. Am I right? People love one another here. Am I right? You pray for one another here. Is that right? When family members have problems, we come to the aid of family members. We encourage family members. We want to hold them up and, and encourage them and support them. That's what brethren are prepared to do here tonight. Will you come as we stand and as we sing?